This show is a member of Goblin, the gaming broadcast network, gbncom.com. Hi, I'm Paul Tevis from Have Games Will Travel, and this is the Gaming Podcast Network. Follow the Path, the Bears Grove Podcast, adult-level discussion of role-playing as a storytelling art at bearsgrove.com. Welcome to the Bears Grove, episode 17. Today we have for you a White Wolf moment, the start of a new role-playing game in the Game Designer's Workbench, some advice about how to fix a game god bad in the GM's corner, and finally a little Game With Me segment about the Blackpool Underground. But first I have some news and notes. Wanted to announce that I will be participating in the brand new DragonCon podcasting track at DragonCon this year. This is pretty amazing, because last year, there was just one podcasting panel, but it was stuffed to the gills. Had a lot of people there. This year, we have a whole track of programming to fill, which means hours and hours of podcasting goodness for those of you who are going to attend. The famous cult leader and amazing geek podcaster Mer Lafferty of Geek Fu Action Grip, and I should be writing, invited me to become involved, and I'm very excited about participating. That'll be coming up this Labor Day, and I encourage all of you to make plans to attend. I'm sorry about missing last week. I have been working on the Dragonkin Kids and Roleplaying podcast, however, and I hope to have a few in the can to start making that one a weekly event as well. Meanwhile, our poor little bardic circle's gotten a bit lonely over there. If you have game-related fiction that you'd like to podcast, let me have a chance to take a look at it, and if I like what I'm reading, we can go ahead and get it voiced. segment today is called the white wolf moment and it's a new segment i've started i decided that as part of this my storytelling podcast i will tell you all a few stories from time to time about my memories of white wolf game design studio when i worked there some of you may be familiar with the fact that i used to work for them uh white wolf game design studio back then is what it was called now that was many years ago I started work there in 1991 and left there in 1994. During my three years or so working for the company, I had a number of incredibly wonderful experiences. I'd rather keep hold of those experiences and let the bad experiences I had kind of fall by the wayside. Some background. I was hired by White Wolf in 91 to do typesetting and layout for them. But like nearly all the people they hired, I was also a gamer geek even then. As a result, I did my graphics work, but was always looking for a chance to do some writing for the company as well. My first real chance was when the first Vampire Player's Guide was coming out. I had a chance to submit an essay for the book. It was very gratifying to lay out and watch my own work become printed. I remember holding the first game book in my hands and leafing through it and finding my own section. It was a lot of fun. My workmanlike graphic design skills were enough to keep things running for a while, but my real talents lay in game design and writing, and the company knew this and eventually kicked me upstairs to work with Mark Reinhagen 
after they started hiring real graphic artists like Michelle Praler, Chris McDonough, and Aileen Miles. Working with Mark was definitely an experience I will never forget. I've had my differences with him in the past, but as I said, I'm choosing to keep this section of the podcast in the positive realm. Suffice it to say, it was never boring working for Mark. One of my favorite memories of White Wolf was this big retreat slash meeting we had in the North Georgia mountains. This was back just before Mage was being released, and we had just brought my good friend to be, Phil Brucato, on board. Now, many of you may have been on one of these retreats before. It's all touchy-feely with trust falls, team-building exercises, and such like. But the real cool part of the weekend was when they brought us all into a meeting room for a conflict resolution session. Tensions were a bit on the edge because as a creative company, everybody was highly opinionated and some tempers could run a bit high. The folks in charge said, okay, now we're going to introduce our new interoffice interpersonal conflict resolution system now. And then they swung open a set of double doors. They had backed a truck up to those doors, rolled up a back door, and started tossing out these brightly colored boxes to each one of us. They were Nerf Arrow Storms. The original. Six arrows, no waiting. A Nerf Arrow Storm is like a Gatling gun, which fires closed cell foam arrows, one after the other, using a pump action much like a shotgun. The arrows have a considerable range, but don't even hurt at point-blank range. And every one of the 50 or so employees at the time was given one to play with. You can imagine the chaos that ensued. All weekend they were used over and over again to conduct little wars. Arrows were constantly flying about the room. But the real fun of it was that people brought their arrow storms into work afterwards. Creative sessions would often be broken up by sudden outbursts of air storm fire. It was like working in a playhouse, and that, my friend, can be a very fun experience. Next up, I have the Game Designer's Workbench. embarking on a journey of discovery and creation. I'm starting the process of creating a role-playing game to match the game that I've already been playing all this time. Now that may sound strange to you, but let me give you some background first. I've always told people that I play Dungeons and Dragons, but the more I think about it, the more I realize that I haven't been playing Dungeons and Dragons at all. When you get right down to it, I just took the framework of Dungeons and Dragons, some of the rules, and sort of spun my own game out of it. This goes far beyond what some may call house rules. I was going so far as having to create my own game mechanics, different character classes, and completely different powers and abilities. The game just didn't support the kind of experience I was seeking. Truth be told, if you examine D&D 3.5 closely, what you will find is a game about dungeon delving. Killing monsters, getting loot, rescuing the princess, earning experience points. The purpose of the XP is to make your character better so you can be better at killing, looting, 
rescuing, and earning more XP. The only way your character can go is up. Now, I'm also not suggesting the creation of what Ron Edwards calls a fantasy heartbreaker game. And I'll have a reference to that in the show notes. Or as Chuck and Lonnie says, the schnotes from Dragon's Landing podcast. In brief, a fantasy heartbreaker role-playing game is an independent fantasy role-playing game put out by one of a number of independent publishers over the years. Upon examining this RPG, though, you can definitely see the shadow of Dungeons & Dragons just below the surface. As you read through the book, you start to realize that what someone did to create this game was to take D&D, in some cases cut out of whole cloth, and just add or subtract the kind of rules that they normally used or did not use in their home games. It was D&D Plus, or D&D Tom's Way, or however you want to say it. But it was still D&D, and what makes it a heartbreaker is that there are some truly good ideas in these games. They've just been saddled with the D&D paradigm. There are plenty of these kind of games out there. I even reviewed one once for White Wolf Magazine, a game called Legendary Lives, which has a lot of interesting ideas. But it still is D&D with the serial numbers filed off. Let me just say this. I do not play D&D anymore. I don't know what it is that I am playing, but it isn't D&D. My first clue is that I don't want to hand out XP to anyone for anything anymore. I want them to have a character that is effective in the story from day one, and I don't want there to be some kind of ridiculous character power curve that causes the game to descend into utter silliness. My second clue is that I can go entire game sessions without even touching the dice. My third and final clue is that rarely does a D&D character class actively fit that which I envision a character should be able to do. What I am setting out to do, and what I intend to clue y'all into during this and future podcasts, is to create a new role-playing game altogether. I want to consciously work at it not being D&D, but I want to be able to retrofit game material that I've already created into the new game structure without much stretching. This shouldn't be too hard, as the stuff I've created is mostly setting, stories and background about the world, not mechanics. So, here's the mission statement, if you will, for this game. This role-playing game will seek to be a support to the kind of storytelling role-play that has already gone on in my games for years. The main reason for this change is to give a player a chance to better understand what their character's choices are in any given situation, and to find a way to balance collaborative storytelling powers between and among the players and storyteller. The game becomes a framework for creating experiences that turn into stories that can be retold later without losing much of their context. The game also then becomes a medium through which we can explore several of the central themes of the past Koronai games. For example, uh, dangerous but lively freedom versus tyrannical but safe order. Or the theme of love. Lack of it causes desolation. The presence of it can create hope where there was none before. Or the theme of choices. Choices made in the ancient past have tremendous consequences in the future, and no choice ever exists in a vacuum. Or, the theme of truth. 
Truth wears a shadowed cloak. Now, I understand that this can come across as a pretty egotistical or pretty selfish kind of thing. It's like I'm saying, okay, I'm going to build this really cool playhouse structure in my backyard. I'm going to tell you all about the playhouse and how I put it up and even take pictures of the playhouse when it's done. But in the end, it's still my playhouse, right? Wrong. I'm going to release the core rules of this game to you, my listeners, for free. The wonder of Dr. Lessig's great invention, the Creative Commons License, means that I can give you this gift, let you have it, and distribute it for free, as long as you don't make any money on it, and as long as you keep my name on it. To a certain extent, the whole purpose of this game is to try and transmit to you the kind of glorious experiences I've shared throughout my years of fantasy gaming. And I'm not saying that I'm the source of all good things, or that I created those experiences by myself. My players had just as much responsibility in that as I did. In the next Game Designer's Workbench segment on creating this game in a future podcast, we'll have a look at character generation. Next up is the Game Master's Corner. I'd like to talk a little bit about what you can do if you suspect that your game has gone astray. There's a lot of reasons why games go off course. However, the main way you as a game master can address this problem is to understand a fundamental truth about role-playing games. It's not just about you. In fact, the game is a created entity that exists because of the contributions of everybody who plays. This is not to say that whatever is wrong isn't your fault, but assigning blame in a creative conflict, which is what this is, is not going to get anyone anywhere. So the first thing to do is to check your ego at the door, open your mind, and understand that all of you, you and your players, are in this together. Although you can spend years debating who's to blame, don't you really just want to have fun? And how do you get back to the point of fun again? You might hate me, but I'm going to say that you have to communicate. And this is one of the most difficult things for geeks to do with other geeks. You know, one of the ways I think of geeks is that I imagine them to be like samurai. They're highly skilled, fiercely loyal, and utterly focused on what they can do. There is also a lot of pride in samurai. The whole concept of saving face is very applicable here. So the last thing an entire group of gamer geeks are going to want to do is to sit around and have an encounter session about their feelings, to share their personal emotions about how this makes them feel. In fact, most of them would rather stick their hand in a blender set on puree. However, there are, as Spock would say, possibilities. The best possibility is to put emotional distance between those of you who need to communicate and... We have one of the best tools ever designed for creating emotional distance, the internet, at our disposal. Get on the net and talk about it. If things are particularly heated, you may want to start an email exchange with your players first. If you feel up to it, maybe a real-time exchange through chat would be better. 
The purpose of this online communication is not to replace the real-life in-person communication eventually, but it is to create some kind of initial agreement so you can figure out where to go from there and allow all your samurai to open up and be expressive and communicative in the virtual world to allow them to save face in the real world. No matter what happens as a result of this communication, you've got to move from the communication phase to the agreement phase fairly soon. Otherwise, the whole process will turn into one noisy, long breakup argument. Come to an agreement with each other as to how things will progress from here. Write the agreement down and post it so that everyone can get a look at it and say, yep, that's what we agreed, and go from there. Remember, the whole point of this is to have fun. But role players can get pretty deep into their characters, and emotions and drama are a natural progression from a storytelling game. If the game isn't fun anymore, then nobody should feel as though they have to keep coming to the game. There are better uses for your time. Life is far too short to play a game badly week after week, and the effort you put out in fixing problems in your game will earn you quite a wonderful entertainment value return on your investment. Now here's how a game can go bad. Number one, not every participant of the game, the GM included, is in agreement as to what game you're playing. This can be avoided by making a player agreement earlier in the process, but there's no better time than the present to figure one out. Number two, players don't like the current progression of the plot or do not like some aspect of the setting that is being portrayed. This is more difficult to fix. Sometimes the story demands this or that plot element, and the players just have to suck it up and take it. Sometimes, however, you as storyteller can make a change or explain your viewpoint on the situation to help people understand it. Sometimes a player just can't see his way around a particularly thorny part of plot, and helping them see the story in perspective is a good way to fix the problem. Ultimately, though, this number two problem may actually be a number one problem. The player may just not like the kind of game you're playing. Number three. The Game Master is finding herself bored with the story as it is now, but doesn't know what to do to change it. This is one where communication helps in a big way, but you must first do some soul-searching on your own. What makes a game interesting to you? What could you do to fix the game? Is it fixable in your opinion? Is the game just in a calm state and waiting for some breath of fresh air to fill the sails? But all this omphaloscaxis, that is to say navel-gazing, is useless if you don't turn around and somehow communicate this to your players. You should really avoid sending the this-is-your-fault message or the you-have-to-fix-this message. But you have to open up and say, look, this game is not frosting my pumpkin. I really need something different to happen. Nine times out of ten, if you're bored with a plot or a game... Your players are bored, too. Remember that everybody has a responsibility to fix the game. Game Master and players. The extreme measures of fixing the problem, switching games altogether, changing Game Masters, or just quitting the game are all nuclear options you can use if you want. But before you do that, try some of my suggestions. 
The game you save just might be your own. Next up, the Game With Me segment. to share with you a brief bit of Blackpool before I close things out for the week. One thing I haven't spoken about is the underground of Blackpool. Blackpool is actually floating on an extra-dimensional space, much as a marshmallow sits on top of a mug of hot chocolate. Now, there are plenty of theories as to why this is. Some say that the Fiwarian Empire created the underground as some kind of magical sandbox, a research laboratory, if you will. Others maintain that the Arandani forgers and smiths and engineers had to hire Lunargenti sorcerers to create the underworld because they couldn't get the pipes and sewers they wanted to run to fit in the bedrock of the island. However the underground of Blackpool was created, it exists, and those people who have been initiated into its secrets, that is to say, been taught which door, manhole cover, burned out husk of building, or whatever, leads to the surrounds of the underground, may use it. Once in the underground, you have to get around. Luckily, the honorable old masters have rigged up a bunch of methods to get from place to place, and have left them in place for your own use, and this means that most people can also use them. Usually, they are jury-rigged things like wicker baskets on pulleys that span chasms, canoes to ride in fast-moving flumes, and even leaps of faith into shafts to be caught by nets or, in one case, big puffy mushrooms that break your fall. Not all of these places are difficult to get to, however, and there are even a few thoroughfares that are fairly well known to particularly urbane thrill-seekers in the city, as well as hardened criminals. At least one nightclub exists down there, as well as a place called the Rusty Nail, which is an HOM hangout. The Underground is owned by the Half-Orc Mafia, though. To be sure, if you've been marked by them, you best stay away from the Underground. What has been implied is that the Underground leads off to other darker dimensions, but nobody has ever spent time or effort looking for them. Strange things happen down there, and frequently the Blackpool Underground serves its narrative place as an interesting way to go from one part of the city to, to another. feedback section. In feedback this week, I've got two responses. I'd like to talk to you about them. No voicemails, but I'm still hoping one day I'll get a voicemail or even an MP3 file in my mailbox. I'm just so incredibly hopeful about that. I might even have to go ahead and get one of those darn audio things that everybody else is getting. Maybe then at least Mick will send me a voicemail. At any rate, Jimmy from the LARP Radio podcast at larpradio.blogspot.com 
left me a comment in my blog. He says, Blackpool sounds very interesting. The Bears Grove once again sets the standard for gaming podcasters. Well, that's great, Jimmy. I really appreciate that. I really like your uh, podcast. Um, I am not so sure it sets the standard, but I really do appreciate the theory and uh, we'll definitely try. Thanks. Next, Chris Hutchins, a.k.a. JC, sent me a note. Sam, I just wanted to drop a quick note of appreciation about your mention of my podcast novel, Seventh Son, in your most recent episode of Bears Grove. Thanks so much for the kind words and for encouraging your listeners to check out the patio book. I'm always flattered and humbled when a stranger speaks highly of my work. Your comments made my day. Thanks. Well, I gotta say, your note made my day, Chris, and I appreciate you, you uh, responding. And hopefully uh, we'll be hearing um, more from you. And I really do enjoy uh, Seventh Son. I'm, I'm getting the uh, podcasts released through Patio Books uh, once a week. And it's really tempting to uh, go back in and just have it release another file. But I'm trying to sort of, you know, just sort of pay it out slowly over time to prolong the uh, goodness. So thanks so much. Well... You've come to the end of another edition of The Bear's Grove. I hope you've enjoyed it. I certainly enjoyed putting it together for you. We would love to hear from you if you have any feedback about the podcast. You can email me at bearsgrove at gmail.com. Send me an audio file at that address. You can call the Bear's Grove hotline at 206-888-2327. This podcast was recorded using the Sa- a Samson CO1U microphone edited with Audacity, uploaded to Libsyn.com, posted to BearsGrove.com, host- hosted by OneInOne.com. The feed was burned at FeedBurner.com and delivered to your ears to the magic of the Creative Commons license 2.5, attribution, no derivatives, no commercial use, and the wonderful lame MP3 codec. Don't forget to keep your eyes on the stars, your hands on your wallets, and your heart in the right place. Until next time, keep your imagination handy and have sweet dreams when you get them. The music for today's podcast has been a song called Goblin Attack by Two Star Symphony. And coming to you from his website at jonathancolton.com. We leave you tonight with a song that I dedicate to my friends in the IT industry and also to those wonderful stalwart individuals who slaved over hot Java code to get us the wonderful character generation software known as PCGen. Uh, You can find that at pcgen.sourceforge.net. That's pcgen.sourceforge.net. Here's Jonathan Colton with Code Monkey. Code Monkey, get up, get coffee. Code Monkey, go to job. Code Monkey, have boring meeting with boring manager Rob. Rob say Code Monkey, very diligent, but his output stink. His code not functional or elegant. What do Code Monkey think?
code monkey think maybe manager wanna write goddamn login page himself code monkey not say it out loud code monkey not crazy just proud code monkey like Beatles code monkey like Tab and Mountain Dew code monkey very simple man the big warm fuzzy secret heart code monkey like you Monkey have long walk back to cubicle He sit down, pretend to work Code monkey not thinking So straight, code monkey not feeling So great, code monkey like Fritos Code monkey like Tab and Mountain Dew Code monkey very simple man Big warm fuzzy secret heart Code monkey like you Monkey thinks someday he have everything, even pretty girl like you. Code monkey just waiting for now. Code monkey says someday, somehow. Code monkey like Fritos. Code monkey like Tab and Mountain Dew. Code monkey very simple man. Big warm fuzzy secret heart. Code monkey like you. Like you.